Hi there, it's Angela Penny from AngelaPenny.com. Uh, this morning I wanted to do a, something a little bit different with you. I wanted to share um, a few words in a blog entry that I had written uh, a couple months ago. Um, the blog entry is called, It's Not Even My Story to Tell. I debated about sharing these words. Hi there, it's Angela Penny from AngelaPenny.com. Today I want to read a story that I've written. Uh, it's on my blog, on Blogspot, uh, Five on Nine Farm. Uh, this post was written back in January and it ended up being the most viewed post that I've ever written. So let me just share this with you and then we'll, we'll have a little talk at the end of it. Um, this blog entry is called, It's Not Even My Story to Tell. I debated about sharing these words. Once typed, they're out there in the world for anyone to read. And it's a story that isn't really mine to tell. And I'm not even sure if my words can capture the true essence of all that this story has become, or who it has involved, nor if it's even truly finished yet. It's a story of a mother and a daughter. A story about family. A story about f sickness. A story about forgiveness. A story about messing up. But mostly... It's a story about love. How easy it's been for me to judge the mother. How quickly I'd made up my mind that her actions were unjust or not right or how many things she could have handled differently. But I guess we all feel that way as outsiders looking in on the intrinsical notions of family dynamics. Most that we know nothing about. I'm trying to be better. To give her the benefit of the doubt. To appreciate that this mother is doing the best that she knew how. But we're all so keen to distinguish someone else's faults and struggles as permission to pat ourselves on the back for knowing that surely to God we would have been so much better apt to handle their burdens with more grace and style. We would have had all the right answers at the most opportune moments. This mother loved her daughter. She loved her when, as a three-year-old, she cut off most of her hair on the day before scheduled family portraits. She loved her at bedtime when she begged for just one more story. She loved her more every day when she thought it would be impossible for her heart to stretch any more than it already had. Then this daughter hit the teenage angst years, and this mother believed that it was a stage, a rite of passage, a not-so-distant memory of her own rebellious streak. So she did nothing but let it play out. It was obvious to anyone who entered their house that something wasn't right. This daughter was always hiding, always in a room, always disengaged from anything remotely social. When asked, the mother would roll her eyes and excuse it as typical teenage behavior. Did she even care? Did she think it was normal? Why didn't she demand that her daughter come out of her room and engage in a normal family discussion? But there I go again, judging. It was obvious to everyone but this oblivious mother that it wasn't normal teenage behavior. One day, to the utter amazement of this distracted mother, she got a call from her daughter's school, and the guidance counselor shattered this mother's awareness to the core. Was she aware that her daughter had been cutting herself? No, of course not. What did that mean, cutting herself? Razor blades, skin, scars, bleeding. Why on earth would a kid do that to themselves? Emotional pain, attention unable to cope with pressure. Wait, what? Referral to mental health. 
psychiatrists, therapists, counseling, and everything changed. This mother finally woke up, raided her daughter's room, her life, her privacy, and realized what had been going on behind that closed door. Why she hadn't done it sooner, I'll never know. But finally awake, this mother talked with her daughter, cried with her, pleaded with her. She wanted answers that this girl wasn't capable of giving. She needed to know why, with everything she had been giving, with a whole life ahead and endless potential, why would she ever take that beautiful body and carve it up? And the mother got mad. She felt guilt and shame and denial, but mostly it was anger. And instead of reaching out more to her daughter, she bottled up her emotions and became mad. What kind of mother allows her daughter to feel alone and upset and helpless? This mother dragged her daughter to months of therapy, to sleep studies with a doctor that was positive that everything would be fine as long as this child would just get an adequate night's sleep. And without progress being made, the mother continued taking her daughter because she had no other options. This mother did it alone. It was months before she ever told anybody what was going on at home, and even then, nobody ever heard the depths of how deep this thing had run into her veins, her thoughts, and robbed her of her sleep and peace. Why didn't this mother reach out? What was she afraid of? Why couldn't she have told her friends or her family? The doctors didn't help. It was apparent when the mother found the daughter bleeding and full of pills one morning. She no longer wanted to live, saw no hope, wanted to be dead. And yet, even at the hospital, the mother didn't reach out. She didn't demand that her daughter stay and get help when the psychiatrist deemed her fit to go home. She didn't plead for different medication or deeper therapy. Nope. Instead, she traded her sleep for what the doctors thought best. She camped out, night after night, in her hallway, listening for any sound from her daughter's room, any clue that she may be thinking about ending her life. This mother was a frazzled mess of short-term memory problems, extreme fatigue, and guilt that ate at her soul. This mother allowed her daughter's illness to poison the entire family, until one day it stopped. Not because she didn't care, but because she cared too much. She cared for her work that was being unfinished. She cared for her entire family that was being neglected. She cared for a mind without stress and a conscience without guilt. She cared enough to sleep in her own bed and laugh when things were funny and to sing with the radio. That mother told her daughter that she was no longer going to stop living to try and keep her safe. She was no longer going to wait for the day she killed herself. She was going to live, and she realized that no amount of waiting could stop the inevitable. Either the daughter was going to live or she wasn't, but that mother wasn't going to give up her own life anymore. And wasn't that the worst possible thing a person could say to a suicidal teenager? But the strangest thing happened. The mother began living again, and you know what? Slowly the daughter did too. It took years. It took some steps backwards, but everything today seems to be going well for them. The mother joined a support group of other parents facing the same issues, and the daughter found a group of teenagers that she could relate to. Even now that things are looking up, I still can't help but to be critical of the way that that mother handled everything. 
I try and remind myself that she did the best she could, but sometimes I'm still so judgmental about all the little details. And such is life when you are unsure of the entire story, especially one that's still ongoing. I know I was hesitant to write these words because it wasn't really my story to tell. It was only half mine. I am that mother, and that is my daughter. And we've discussed telling this story, but the words have never really come out well. But we thought that if more people were brave enough to be honest with their struggles, then maybe reaching out for acceptance when you need it the most would be easier. Until now, the story isn't finished, not even close. She still has her whole life ahead. And me? One of these days I'll learn to be a little less, a little more forgiving of myself, a little less judgmental. I still have my whole life to figure that out too. And that's my story. That's been my reality for um, close to the last four years. And because there is no guidebook to help mothers through uh, teenagers who cut themselves or who don't want to live anymore or who have such negative thoughts that um, it's hard for them to get out of bed in the mornings and, and deal with everyday life struggles, things that, you know, maybe people don't love to do. But for a daughter who is diagnosed with generalized anxiety um, and uh, OCD, but her OCD manifests in uh, negative thinking patterns, mostly. Um, so for for her to get up and engage in stuff that maybe you or I wouldn't want to do, it's almost impossible for her. So we did medications. We did therapy. We did group therapy. We did psychiatrists. We did sleep studies. We pretty much did absolutely everything, and I was at the end of my rope. Uh, we had run out of options. We had done everything through uh, medicine that we could possibly do. We had come as far as it was going to take us. The problem was my daughter was given all sorts of tools, but what she was looking for was a magic pill. She had the tools and the techniques and the knowledge, but she wasn't applying any of that to her own life. She learned how to deal with negative thoughts, but she wasn't applying that to her negative thoughts. So all the knowledge in the world wasn't going to help this child. She needed something else. And at that point, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. So um, I, w- I was quiet about the whole thing. It's nothing that you're proud of. You know, there's a lot of guilt that goes along with being a mother of a child who doesn't want to live and who harms her body and um, a lot of internal stuff that, you know, I, I, I wondered what I had done wrong or what had she been exposed to that I wasn't aware of. Had something happened to her as a child that I didn't know about and all of a sudden it was manifesting itself in this self-hatred that she was feeling and I mean I I blamed myself for everything because I was the constant in her life so I should have seen the warning signs I should have been able to deal with this earlier I should have prevented all of this from happening I should have been a superwoman with uh, 
power and strength that was completely out of this world. Anyway, I that's the the kind of thought that I had. I should have been better. I should have been more aware. I should have been able to fix this. And I couldn't. So because I was so silent about it, I, I dealt with this alone and I didn't tell very many people what I was going through. And even the ones that I did share it with, they they weren't aware of the entire story. Um, I would give them little snippets and pieces and um, I still kept most of it bottled up. And there was this one day that uh, I was at work and one of our uh, clients at work, uh, actually there was two of them, they were there together and we were just having a like a girl chat and and I started talking and slowly at first, you know, just little bits and, and then I I kind of just let it all out and I, kinda, I, I told them what my fears were and I didn't know what I was going to do with my daughter and I was so worried about her and she was becoming more and more um, inside of herself again and she had been doing well and then she was kind of regressing and and it was a struggle for me and finally I just unloaded and holy smokes did it ever feel good. But better than that... One of my clients at work had asked if I would be interested in uh, sending my daughter to her dad to speak. Um, He does some counseling with some at-risk youths, and he had his own uh, attempted suicide story. Um, And he actually, he's a minister, and he owns a funeral home, so... uh, I, I was open to anything at this point. I mean, it certainly wasn't going to hurt the situation. And if there was any shred of hope that um, it would help the situation, I would have sent her to Timbuktu. It didn't matter where I sent her. So I completely appreciated this offer. She had gotten contact with her father. Her father was willing to meet with my daughter. And I proposed the question to my daughter, sort of without all of the details. And this was... Um, this was about seven months ago. So I had told her that I had set up an appointment with um, a new type of counselor and asked if she was interested and it was a little bit different. You know, he was a minister and it was a little bit different than anything we had ever attempted before. And uh, she was open to anything. She was still looking for this magic pill. She still wanted something to be fixed. So we leave home. It's the middle of October and we leave home. We're kind of rushed because I had had a really busy day that day. I picked her up. We were driving towards her appointment and it just happened to be in the same direction as our hospital where she had gone for all of her other appointments. But partway along our drive, she turns to me and she says, so is my appointment at the hospital today? And I said, um, actually it's, it's kind of like the opposite of the hospital. I looked at her and she gave me that confused kind of look and I just left it alone, changed the subject. We kept talking and I'm driving pull off the highway. She has no idea where we're heading. Make the turn, pull inside the parking lot at the funeral home. And I wish I had taken a picture of what her face looked like at the moment that we pulled into the funeral home and she realizes she's going for a counseling session at a funeral home. So I get out of the truck, I walk her to the door. Um, This wonderful, beautiful, human being meets me at the door, gives me a great big hug, takes my daughter. I I let 
let him know it's okay you take as long as you need to take and I'm going to use this time to kind of relax sitting out here so he takes her inside and they're gone for quite a while um, a really long time and uh, and she came out it was about 5.30, quarter to 6, she came out, and I knew, looking at her, with her mascara ran all down her face, that it had been an emotional experience for her, but I had no idea the effect that it was going to have on her life. Nor do I have any idea of all the words that he used to speak to her, um, to get through to her, but... He was able to get through to her in a way that her mother, her father, the counselors, the therapists, the doctors, the support staff at the hospital, nobody else could get through to her. So I knew things were good the very next day. She she had given me a little bit of, um, a little bit, she was processing, right? So the night before, the, the night that she meets, she met with him, she um, had given me a little bit about what they had talked about and... Um, didn't go into too much detail. And the next morning, I'll never forget, I was walking out of my bathroom and she stops right in front of the bathroom. She's in the hallway and she looks at me and she says, for the first time in years, I feel hope. She said, I don't know what he said to me that got through to me, but I feel like there's hope. And hope was the most magical word that I could have ever heard because to me, I had looked at this child who had felt hopeless and full of despair and there was no light at the end of the tunnel and I'm telling you from that point on that was yeah six or seven months ago we've had more good days than bad days I could probably tell you in those last few months that the bad days we've had we could count on one hand where previous to that meeting every day was a bad day um, there's been really good things that have happened in her life since then, and uh, she's open, she sees a future, she wanted me to tell her story, and that's why I wrote the entry in the blog. We had talked about that, and I had said to her that it wasn't, I wasn't able to tell her story, because her story would be from her point of view. I could only tell it from my point of view, which was a mother that had no idea what I was doing. But I wanted to be able to give another mother some sort of shred of hope or a light at the end of the tunnel or a pat on the back that says honey you are doing a fabulous job and when you're dealing with a child who's suicidal and in despair um, it affects the entire family it affects every breath you take it affects every thought you have I, I was worried about things that no parent should ever have to be worried about I was afraid to leave our younger son at home alone with her in case she chose that moment to end her life and he would find her. So these were the everyday thoughts that I was having. I would keep our younger son with us all the time and I'd buy books for my daughter, things that would maybe help her, anything, anything I could do. But when you're in, when you are that mother who is dealing with this for years on an everyday every moment, every second basis, it really starts to weigh on you. So I've felt that a huge weight has been taken off my shoulders. Um, it happened to me initially at the moment that I, I realized that if she wanted to die, if she absolutely wanted to die, there was not a thing that I could do to change that. 
And it was the most disgusting feeling in the world to come to that realization, to have, it was a punch in the stomach. But at the same time, it was really freeing because that meant that I didn't have to keep her alive. I couldn't keep her alive. No matter what I had done, no matter how many times I took the, her bedroom door off her, off the hinges or made her check in or, you know, looked at her. If she decided she was going to kill herself, it was going to be a very short thing. I wasn't going to get in the bathtub with her every time she wanted to go have a bath. She could have done it then. So I had to give up this idea that becoming a martyr was keeping my daughter alive. And I had to get back to living. So that was the first realization that I had. The second realization came when she started feeling okay. And it was like another second permission for me to live, for me to be alive. Instead of just going through the motions, I had every right to have a fulfilled life. And in doing so, I also gave my daughter permission and hope that her life would turn out to be something worth living as well. So anyway, I she still talks. We still have, we still communicate. She has more good days than bad days. She gets cranky, but cranky like a normal teenager. Um, she doesn't get completely full of despair. We were driving down the road one day uh, a few weeks ago, and she said, you know, it's a nice feeling when finally after all this time I can look in the mirror and actually like what I see. And that was huge. That was beyond huge. And I said to her, you know what, honey, there are so many women that live their entire lives and never have that moment of liking what they see in the mirror. So it's awesome. It's amazing. So she's okay with who she is on the outside. She's getting really okay with who she is on the inside. And I'm doing okay too. I, uh, it, it's something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Not that I have any, but I wouldn't wish that that burden on any other parent. And if you're a parent that's going through something like that, and you're wondering what you've done wrong, or how you can fix it, or how you're going to survive through this, and how you're going to keep your child alive, um, let me just tell you, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to live. That doesn't mean turning your back on your child, or not providing the support, but it also means that you're not going to let that child's illness dictates how your family survives. Yes, it's an illness. It's a mental illness you can't see. It's not like she has a broken arm and there's a cast on it or she has some uh, stitches on her forehead. It's, it's something that's inside and you can't see. But yes, it's absolutely an illness. So you need to support that as much as you can um, and not expect them to snap out of it the same as you wouldn't expect them to snap out of diabetes. It's not going to happen. So you need to be with them for that. But you you can't put your entire life on hold because you're not serving anybody. If you're the mother and you're serving one child, you're not living a very full life. And depression isn't contagious, but you can put yourself in a situation where you also feel hopeless and full of despair and full of anxiety if your entire life is consumed by trying to make your child want to live. 
It's a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling, but you have to live. There are other people in the world that count on you. Uh, There's a life out there that's meant for you, so your life can't stop if somebody in your world gets sick. And depression is a sickness, and anxiety is a sickness, and you can't stop living just so that you can support them constantly. You're expected to support them. You're the mother. You're expected to nurture them and get them help. But you can't give up your entire life to be able to do that. It's not fair to anybody. It's not expected. It doesn't give your child then permission to have a life if they think that, oh, look, I'm going to grow up and have this kid of my own and give away my entire life just to see that my kid survives. It doesn't work like that. You have to live. So if you're a parent out there that's going through that, I just, you're doing a good job. You're doing the best that you know how to do. But take some time for you. Um, it's a burden that that not a whole lot of people understand unless you're going through it. And I tried to keep it hidden because I didn't want people to look at me with pity or I didn't want people to try to solve it for me. And I didn't, I didn't want to worry other people. But... Once I reached out, I was able to find some help that I would have never expected we could have found. So I'd say reach out. And when the doctors tell you, I think your child's okay, you can take them home, you have every right to demand that they keep them there. If the medication's not working for your child, you have every right as a parent to demand that they look into that medication. That's your duty that you're supposed to look out for that child. But just reach out, ask for help. Allow people, uh, let people in and allow them to help you. You know, if you're taking care of everything, who is taking care of you? Anyway, that's what I have for today. Um, I hope maybe I've reached somebody and gotten through to somebody. And to any of you kids that are going through that, just hang in there. This is definitely not the best that it gets.